Hello and welcome to Weirdos in the Wild with our co-host, A.J. Oxley, paranormal investigator with Beyond This Life Paranormal and multi-generational paranormal enthusiast, and Lynn Tencher, Beyond This Life Paranormal investigator, Reiki master, published author, and near-death experiencer. Travel with them, a couple of everyday weirdos, on a wild ride to all things paranormal and metaphysical. Coming up on Weirdos in the Wild, AJ and Lynn discuss just how weird the skies over Kentucky can get. Hear about the unique UFO and UAP phenomenon experiences with a dash of cryptids thrown in for good measure. First, here's a word from our sponsors. Hydra Publications is the best place to find great genre fiction, including paranormal and horror, including the supernatural Take Care of Morrows by Stephen Paul Sayers, Dearly Departed, A Paranormal Romance by Rachel Rawlings, Terror on the Tundra, a Monster vs. Small Town book by J. Esker Miller, and The Devil's Mark, a Paige Aldridge and Victor McCain crossover novel written by Lynn Tincher and Tony Akery, featuring characters from the Mind-Bending and Hand of God series. Find these and other great books at HydraPublications.com. Do you struggle with depression, ongoing medical issues, or have you experienced past trauma? If you have, please consider the help of Energetic Healing. At Dragonfly Pond Holistic Services, we utilize Karuna Reiki, crystals to align and heal chakra function, meditation, and sound healing to address these issues and help in your healing process. To learn more about energetic healing and how to contact us, visit our website at dragonflypondenergy.com. For those who call in March to schedule an appointment, mention this ad and receive $25 off your initial visit. Welcome back, everyone, to Weirdos in the Wild. This is AJ. This is Lynn. And tonight, we're going to talk about a new weird subject. Um, one that we don't have a whole lot of personal experience with, but definitely one that we are definitely intrigued by the weirdness. And uh, we're going to talk about USO, UFOs tonight. I think that most folks know the most famous UFO cases, the the New Mexico case in Roswell, where supposedly a UFO crashed and the Air Force confirmed that they had a craft and bodies of aliens. And then very short time later, changed their official story and said, no, we had a weather balloon. You know, there are lots of other stories that those little green men ended up in Hangar 18 in Dayton, Ohio. And that's where all of the reverse engineering happened. And, um, you know, there's the Area 51 claims and uh, the famous or I don't know if you want to call or maybe infamous, depending on what you want to call this gentleman, Bob Lazier, who claims he actually worked side by side with alien beings and reverse engineered uh, several types of craft and beings and information that was able to be gleaned for that that was used for the military. Everybody, I think, has their opinion. Yeah, I have two personal friends that were stationed there. Neither one Area of them, 51? Yeah, oh, okay. and neither one of them are allowed to talk about it. Not yeah. a word to this day, and they've both been out of the service for a long time. Yeah. But they did say, the only thing they would say is you wouldn't believe it. 
Yeah. So. Well, you know, there's a lot of other secret work that was done there to, but who knows about the, the little green men? Well, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of brings us to our subject today. Again, we've asked this in our other podcast. If you've had an experience with a UFO or any other type of weird weird objects or weird things in this world, let us know. Go to our website, weirdosinthewild.com. Say that 10 times fast. Weirdosinthewild.com. <laughs> and let us know. And maybe you can be our guest on our show sometime. As I think most of you know, we are in Kentucky. And so we're going to talk about some weird UFO things that have happened in Kentucky. As many of you know, Kentucky is famous for a lot of weird things, um, in addition to our Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not only ghosts and other things like that, but we have a lot of UFO activity here as well. Yeah, we're going to go through some of those, and they go from one end of our state to the other. <laughs> from yeah. We all know that uh, there's strange things that happen in eastern Kentucky, but there's just as many strange things that happen in the far western part of our state as well. Um, ghosts, cryptids, and now we're going to find out about UFOs. <laughs> uh, so we're going to start out, and uh, we're going to talk about a, a famous abduction case that happened in 1976 near Stanford, Kentucky. Three ladies, um, we actually have their names, Mona Stafford, Louise Smith, and Elaine Thomas were driving along a, a back kind of road called Huntsville Road in Stanford, headed home uh, to the home of one of the ladies, Louise Smith. And things kind of got strange on their on their way home. They were driving along, and it was uh, all at once the car kind of began driving as if it had a mind of its own and accelerated up to 85 miles an hour, even though they were trying, the driver, who was Mona Stafford, was trying to hit the brakes at that time. And that's when the story goes that the three ladies saw red glowing lights on a UFO as it descended from above them, and that it emitted a, a bright light with a as they described it, a gaseous, hazy glow to it. And it stayed very close to their car. And they described it as a dish-shaped, metallic, with a dome on top, and red lights on the top, and yellow lights on the bottom. And those lights on the top and the bottom were both blinking. Um, After that, their stories get a little vague, uh, because they actually lose time. And this is kind of a theme I think mm-hmm. most people know that happened in, in abductions. Um, they report that they, at some point, found themselves in the car, still driving down the road, but now they're at a normal speed. But the three ladies were covered in some sort of burns when they reached their the, the destination, which was Louise Smith's house they realized that they had lost approximately two hours of time. Uh, They did contact the police soon after, and this story actually became a nationwide story and was 
actually investigated by several UFO investigators and they did find some strange verifiable phenomena connected to the the women which um, these are very odd uh, mechanical and electrical devices stopped working when the women were holding them the one lady's pet bird went crazy and was was fearful of her from then on and wouldn't allow her near it animals know <laughs> yes animals do know when weird things happen yep all three of the ladies took a polygraph test that was administered by the Louisville, or the I'm sorry the Lexington Police Department and also took a number of hypnosis sessions their descriptions and their experiences have been very much like what you would consider classic alien abduction cases where they mm-hmm. said they were taken into a craft that they were repeatedly examined but there was really no hard evidence, I guess, that you could could put on it to to verify that. The one thing about this is is that um, there's really no way to dispute what happened to those ladies either. Mm-hmm. Very strange things happened. You know, these ladies didn't want the the fame. They didn't want the the notoriety. Right. They didn't want the news that that the casters that came around them. Um, they really just wanted it to go away. You know, this this still is probably Kentucky's best proof of some sort of abduction. Actually, one of the earlier ones we're going to talk about. But actually, we have one that's actually earlier than this that has to deal with a sighting that was done by the actual, was done by Kentucky National Guard. Wow. So what do you think about that first one? That one... It- is like nightmares to me because I remember being little and watching a lot of shows on alien abductions and, and I remember being, you know, just terrified that something like that was going to happen. Thankfully, you know, to my knowledge, it never did. (laughs) (laughs) I never, I don't have any memories of it whatsoever, but I, I, I can't imagine what those poor women went through. Even if they tried to fake it or whatever, why would they burn themselves like that? You know, it's just, very strange and the whole you know they touched electronics and they mm-hmm. wouldn't work and the and the bird the animal yeah. animal like you said animals have an extra sense about these things yeah so there's just there's a lot to that that makes you think that that's probably what happened mm-hmm. yep so this one is a a well-documented case as we mentioned because it was actually a u.s air force national guard airplane that encountered what was a ufo over kentucky and so this was in 1948 um again this is the time period when a lot of these occurrences were happening right Mm -hmm. after world war ii a ufo was spotted over parts of kentucky and and uh, this was actually on january 7th 1948 and it starts um, about 1 15 in the afternoon so it wasn't in dark. This was something that was, you know, during the daylight hours. The Kentucky State Police actually contacted Goodman Air Force Base, which is was just outside of Louisville, with reports of a UFO sighting in Maysville, Kentucky. And if y'all are familiar, Maysville is up in northern Kentucky along the river. Mm-hmm. 
Goodman, unfortunately, Goodman Air Force Base does not exist anymore in Kentucky. 20 minutes later, the state police would call again, and UFOs had been spotted in Owensboro and Irvington. So we're talking basically from east end of Kentucky uh-huh. to the west end of Kentucky. Right. In a very short time period. Very short time period. They, the tower, And about 10 minutes after that second call, the tower at Goodman got its first glimpse of the UFO as it approached the base. At that time, they ascertained that the object uh, was not a weather balloon, was not an air, aircraft... And they described it as gray, metallic, conical, and rotating. And at that point in time, you know, there was no type of aircraft that... Resembled that at all. No. Yeah. (laughs) So at 2.30, a group of four F-51 fighter fighter planes, which is actually a... Most people know as a P-51 Mustang. Mm -hmm. Um, Just so everyone knows the difference when... After the war, they became F-51 fighters when they became part of the National Guard. So if I call them P-51s, you'll know why I call them P-51s now. And if you remember, he's a pilot, so he knows these Yeah, <laughs> so, um, uh, so, the, so about 2.30, so only about a, you know, this was only about an hour, you know, an hour and 15 minutes after the first call came in. That group of four... P-51 Mustangs were approaching the base there in Louisville, and the, t- and the control tower called the leader. The leader's name was, he was uh, Captain Thomas Mantle. They briefed him of the situation and asked him if his group could go investigate this. Three of the airplanes did. One was, was running low on fuel. It proceeded to the base. Mantle sighted the UFO, and he said it was approximately 20,000 feet above the ground, while his men dropped back at about 15,000 feet, he went on and chased the, the object. He maintained contact with the control tower, but then suddenly he stopped responding. All at once, his plane could no longer be seen. And there were reports that he flew to up to 30,000 feet and may have passed out from lack of oxygen. I don't know, and you know, it would not be out of the ordinary for a an airplane of that type to have oxygen on board. Maybe he wasn't having oxygen. I don't know. You know, that's kind of here or there, and kind of something that's always been up in the air about it. But what happened was, Mano's plane crashed in a farm field about a hundred and thirty miles away from Goodman. They found that when they found him, his watch had stopped at 3.16 p.m. The control tower lost sight of the UFO in the next half hour, uh, but the reports of this UFO continued throughout the the Midwest for about the next four hours. Uh, Early the next morning, a gentleman with the, the Air Force, a Captain James F. Dulcher, arrived to investigate the crash site. When he got there, he saw the plane had appeared to have just belly flopped straight down, which would be very odd in this type of aircraft because it could, I guess it could have gone into a flat spin, but a P-51 Mustang is very nose heavy because of it being a piston engine airplane. It has that huge engine in the front of that airplane, which would obviously make it um, nose, you would think it would nose dive if it was something was to happen. So that was very inconsistent with that type of crash. 
and there should have been damage to the surrounding area. You know, you know, it, it should have, it said, but it, it as if it just came straight down. So there was no damage to trees, yeah. ground. You could nothing. It just came straight down. It's like it lost all momentum. Mm-hmm. He noticed that um, that the wings and the tail had broken off. But there was very, very, very little damage to the fuselage. When he went to actually examine the cockpit of the airplane, Mantle's body had already been removed by the by the Air Force. Been and it had been taken away. But there was absolutely no blood at, whatsoever in the airplane. Wow. It was reported that nowhere on his body had the skin big been punctured or penetrated. Yet all of his bones had been crushed and pulverized, is what the report said. Goodness. The Air Force maintained that uh, he must have been chasing what they said was Venus in the sky. He was chasing Mm -hmm. the planet Venus in the sky. But if you remember, this was at 3.16 p.m. And it started at one something, right? Right. So we know that his watch stopped at 3.16 p.m., which is probably when the airplane impacted the ground. Strange story. I don't think you're chasing Venus in the middle of the afternoon. Then they changed their story, and they insisted that it was a balloon that he was chasing. They believed that he uh, ran out of oxygen and um, passed out, and that's why the airplane crashed. So he chased a balloon at a high rate of speed for 130 miles. And saw yeah. Venus in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> I did hear some reports that he had, and I don't know how true these are because I can't substantiate it, but that he had mentioned seeing living creatures on this ship. Oh, wow. That's something I want to personally dig more into, but I don't know that that no one's been able to find anything to substantiate that or you know they don't even have a recording of it, but it was reported that he mentioned seeing living creatures on the ship. Yeah. One other thing, he's buried in Zachary Taylor National Cemetery, which if you're from Louisville, you know it's got a reputation of being haunted as well. Yeah, we need to go hang out there. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. And, um, you know, the interesting part about that is because it was an an Air Force event, that it was very well documented. Mm -hmm. Wasn't just hearsay. We're going to pop over to talk about something... They call it the strange sounds from Lynch Mountain. Lynch Mountain is also known as Black Mountain and is very close to the Kentucky-Virginia border. It's gained its notoriety with kind of a internet conspiracy theorist that started in 1989 when there were a number of reports of UFOs and it became a regular occurrence there. And the funny thing about these UFOs is they were they were egg-shaped. In one case, they were actually, um, these smaller ones were connected to a larger egg, egg-shaped craft, I guess you want to say. Triangled-shaped objects were seen. Cylindrical-shaped objects were seen. These objects were clearly, as some of the folks said, were some sort of energy within, within them as well. I guess the the conspiracy part of it came out that um, when these uh, craft were spotted, there would be the reports of the black helicopters coming, Hmm. um, Humvees, white military jeeps. They would be going up and down 
the mountain to where a protected radar tower was at the top of this mountain. According to the locals, there is an active, though secret government installation at the mountain's peak with Area 51 type of security. Supposedly, many of the locals have attempted to, to enter this area, but have been intercepted and ordered to leave and were followed all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. Maybe you could fly over it. <laughs> uh, Putting ideas in your mind? <laughs> no, nah, uh, that's, that's a different... Uh, that's a different podcast. <laughs> flying where you're not supposed to be. Um, <laughs> um, but one of the funny thing is, is there there are very loud noises that are heard there. Everything from like booming explosions, sometimes eerie humming sounds, and they they say it's like the famous tales. I think you say it that way. Tales hum in New Mexico where they say it comes not from the mountain peak, but from underground. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about that. I need to look into that one a little bit more, I guess. um, The the whole thing here is that the belief is that maybe the UFOs are there because there is some sort of secret underground in the mountain type of installation that's the military. Hmm. Or it could be an old crash site. Could be. Covered in dirt. (laughs) Kind of makes me think of uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Hydra Publications is the best place to find great genre fiction, including paranormal and horror, including the supernatural Take Care of Morrows by Stephen Paul Sayers, Dearly Departed, a paranormal romance by Rachel Rawlings, Terror on the Tundra, a monster versus small town book by J. Esker Miller, and The Devil's Mark, a Paige Aldridge and Victor McCain crossover novel written by Lynn Tincher and Tony Akery featuring characters from the Mind-Bending and Hand of God series. Find these and other great books at hydropublications.com. Do you struggle with depression, ongoing medical issues, or have you experienced past trauma? If you have, please consider the help of Energetic Healing. At Dragonfly Pond Holistic Services, we utilize Karuna Reiki, crystals to align and heal chakra function, meditation, and sound healing to address these issues and help in your healing process. To learn more about energetic healing and how to contact us, visit our website at dragonflypondenergy.com. For those who call in March to schedule an appointment, mention this ad and receive $25 off your initial visit. Welcome back to Weirdos in the Wild. Before we return to our program, AJ and I would like to take a moment to remember my brother John Tincher, co-founder of Beyond This Life Paranormal, and Alan Oxley, AJ's father. Both passed away just before we recorded our first episode. Each and every episode going forward from this one on will be in remembrance of them. Thank you. This one, I think, this one intrigues me. I've heard this one, I've heard this story several times actually. It is very much a conspiracy theorist as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one did happen again in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And this happened on January 14th of 2002. And this was 22 miles north of Paintsville, Kentucky, which again is in far eastern Kentucky. And this is coal country, mm-hmm. Kentucky coal country. And this happened to a train. That was carrying coal out of the mountains. As this uh, train 
which is actually was a CSX train. If um, you're familiar with this part of the country, a very um, you'll see CSX trains all over the place. As they came around a bend, they were seeing lights, and the the crew assumed that another train was approaching on um, the parallel track. But as the train rounded the curve, the computer and the other instruments in the train um, started to go berserk. And the engines spontaneously shut themselves off. And one of the crew members watched stopped at 2.47 a.m. So we know exactly when this Mm. incident occurred. The crew then reported seeing three UFOs with searchlight beams. Um, And those beams appeared to be scanning the nearby river as if they were looking for something. Uh, The train was still rolling. Obviously, a a loaded coal train does not stop in its tracks. The crew estimated they were probably going about 30 miles an hour, and they struck the first object. Clipping the tops of the first three cars and leaving as they said, severe gouges in the train steer hull. And then all at once, all the objects immediately vanished. I don't know if who's been around trains or not. I mean, you, you hit a locomotive. Yeah. You don't dent a locomotive. No, it dents you. <laughs> <laughs> so after getting the emergency power system up and going, the crew notified their dispatch and told them what the situation was. They were advised to con- continue to the um, the milepost that was near an abandoned train yard um, in Paintsville, so they could assess the damage and go from there. So it took them about two hours to get the damaged train back to Paintsville. This is where the conspiracy parts comes <laughs> in, um, and it. Sounds like it should be part of a movie, to be quite honest. Um, They were greeted by a huge entourage of government officials who immediately took charge and and boarded the train and took charge of everyone on board. They were, the teams were already there when the train got to Paintsville. They disconnected the damaged cars from the rest of the train and they rolled them into a large tent that was already set up. The crew were allegedly held for hours they were integrated they were interrogated given medical tests they were told not to talk about this because it was due to national security they were taken to martin kentucky where they were uh, questioned again by railroad officials they were given drug tests and they were released and then Eight hours later, they were sent back to work. They noticed as they passed through Paintsville again, the tent, the vehicles, the people, the train cars, all gone in Paintsville. No sign of anything. When they got to the spot where they hit the the UFO, all cleaned up. No coal spillage, no evidence of anything whatsoever so if this is true it it would really be interesting to see or to me number one what happened to the rest what happened to that train the actual locomotive but also what happened to that 
that craft that was hit. Right. They described the craft as um, being silver with um, multicolored lights on it. It was approximately 18 to 20 feet long and about 10 feet high. So coming back, I'm thinking of they rolled the cars into a tent. Did they have tracks set up to get the cars into the tent? Because I can't imagine them just rolling train cars across a field. I'm guessing that if they pulled them into a station or a, what did they say it was? The uh, abandoned Paintsville yard. So I'm guessing. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing they, they had it all erected over a set of tracks. And... Yeah, at an old train yard. So we're working in cahoots. You know that one. Is. That one makes you <laughs> makes you wonder again. Is that the whole uh, conspiracy theory? Uh huh. Strange things happen in Eastern Kentucky. Oh yeah, those Appalachian mountains. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a different one. One more here. Well, no, we got two more. I like this one because it's different. And instead of being flying saucers or flying discs or triangles, it's flying squares in the sky. <laughs> And square objects don't usually turn up in UFO lore, but they do in Kentucky. That's right. Um, So this was in the 80s. So in 1985, um, over Berea, Kentucky, um, not far from where the Bluegrass Army Depot is, glowing cubes were seen silently hovering over Berea. Those who saw them gave wildly varying guesstimates as to their size, but they all agree what they saw in this in the sky was square, not an egg shape, not a, not a triangle, and for sure not a saucer. In July of '86, a square UFO was spotted over Oneida by multiple witnesses, and including a restaurant owner. And a forest ranger who described it um, as having being square and having um, rows of red lights on two of its sides. And they said it could travel at um, very high speeds and then very suddenly slow to a hovering speed. Very strange, you know, obviously we know that conventional aircrafts can't go from a very high speed to a a very stop. slow speed, yeah. hovering. And then, in 1999, uh, there were a number of square UFO sightings in Richmond, Kentucky, which is not far from Berea, where the 1985 uh, sightings were. Mm-hmm. And some of these reports re- described the object as cube-like, but others also described it as a flat platform, or at least something... With a base that appears square when viewed from a from below, so it sounds like, like a pyramid, maybe. Yeah, so it's almost as if people were seeing this directly from below. One witness said he saw it flying so low and got a close up look at it that he said he could he could see a place on the bottom where, in his words, I guaranteed you the landing gear ejects from. Wow. Too bad he didn't have a, a, a smartphone back then to get a picture. <laughs> <laughs> he also said, I don't think they're meant to go far because square planes aren't aerodynamic. You know? <laughs> I think they're small and probably only have one man inside. I don't think they're UFOs. I think they're 
uh, reman their man-made. I'm sorry. So when you were first start talking about it, I was thinking of Chinese lanterns, if maybe that could be some, but I don't know that even a Chinese lantern riding a, a wind wave or something could go that fast and then just stop. Stop. It's, yeah. you know, it being a, a, a square object is just very, very interesting to me. There, ha there was some pictures. Of course, they're blurry, but it... You know, mm -hmm. what they're claiming to have, have photographed is a square object. Especially as me as a pilot. I agree with this guy. Yeah. Square objects are not meant to fly. No. <laughs> and you don't normally run into them in the sky. No, no. So we're going to talk about one more. And uh, this was a case that happened in uh, March of 1993 in which two... Uh, Louisville police officers who were helicopter pilots were part of the Louisville Air Police Unit. They spotted what was a UFO and they kind of chased it and supposedly the UFO kind of chased them back a little bit. This was happened to, um, as again I said, two Jefferson County Air Unit police officers. Um, they had what was a, you might consider a two-minute dogfight with UFO during a routine helicopter patrol over the um, over parts of Louisville on a Friday night. Where this happened, from where Lynn and I are sitting right now, if you go, if you were to draw a straight line, it's probably five miles from here or less. Wow. Because it happened at the GE plant. Over oh, the GE plant. yeah. So the two officers were also, and this was also, I'm sorry, and this was also witnessed by two officers that were on the ground as well. Um, the two officers on the ground say they spotted the object. It was a glowing pear-shaped object. It literally flew circles around the helicopter, even though the flyers say they were, even though the helicopter flyers say they were moving at about a hundred miles per hour. So whatever this was was flying circles around a moving helicopter. Holy cow! In uh, one of the moments, both the aircraft were hurling towards each other. And the UFO shot three basketball-sized fireballs out of its middle. All of the officers said um, the fireballs fizzled out into nothing. And the officers that were involved really have not said much about whatever happened to them that night. Uh, they said the night started out as any other. They went to work at 6. They were in the air patrol soon. The one officer was a 11-year veteran with the police department and he was the pilot and the other officer uh, had been with the the department for five years and he was the the spotter that night while in the air they got a call about a potential break-in and they were flying to that area um, which is which if, if you're from louisville which is which they were around appliance park and as they as they circled to assist the, the officers that were on the ground. They said they saw what looked like a small fire off to his left. He soon realized that it wasn't a fire. So they shined the spotlight from the, the object toward this object, which began to drift back and forth like a balloon as the light hit it. It gradually floated up to the to the helicopter's um, elevation, 
which was approximately about 500 feet, and hovered there a few seconds. Then it, then the pilot said it took off at a speed I'd never seen before. The object then made two huge counterclockwise loops around the helicopter and finally approached the helicopter's rear. The pilot was afraid that uh, the object was going to ram the rotor or the rear of the air of uh, the uh, the helicopter, and he pushed his speed above 100 miles an hour. The UFO shot past them and then instantly climbed hundreds of feet in the air. It then descended again and flew close to the helicopter. The pilot then tried to close the gap on the object, and it again flew away, and the UFO approached a, when it approached on a parallel path, um, that's when the three fireballs burst out of the out of the object. Um, the pilot said he was he was scared by that uh, by those <laughs> I would uh, by what happened, <laughs> and he banked away from the object. He said when we came back around, it was gone. When they had got back to the airport, they uh, called the control tower at. Um, well, at that point in time, it's called Stansford Field, which is now Muhammad Ali International. And the rate and the um, the radar had spotted nothing. They also called the um, the dispatch, the the county dispatch for the um, police, and nothing had been reported. But there was the two officers on the ground that did observe this as well. To this day, they, they none of them have any idea what what it was. It's a it's an interesting account that was that was um, observed by by four police officers, two in the air, two on the ground. I wonder what the fireballs were, because it's not like it went and hit anything to do any damage. It was almost as if it tried to just scare them off. Right, like little warning shots maybe, or or maybe it was part of its expulsion system. I mean, maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's, that's interesting. It was weird that it came close to them and you know went around them twice and then went behind them. It was almost as if it was trying to, like, Engage hey, what it is. What or, is this? Yeah. <laughs> What is this flying around here? That's interesting. Because, you know, like you said, it's like only 500 feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, those are our Kentucky stories for UFOs. Again, if you have any that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, because especially now that things are seem to be picking up. It's actually making news. Um, you know, I've heard rumors from other people that more stuff's going to come out and we got the Skinwalker Ranch thing going on. Um, you know, if you've got anything especially recent, because it seems like it's it's happening again, let us know, because we'd love to share your stories. Or, you know, feel free to leave comments on our Facebook page or, you know, some of our other avenues on, you know, the podcast itself, whatever. Um, let us know, because we, we want to find out more. We do. We love all things weird. <laughs> Um, we do have one other that we could talk about here. Lynn and I have looked at this one, and we seem to think it is more of a cryptid mm-hmm. as opposed to um, some sort of alien, alien creature. creature. Yeah. This happened um, just outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. So we're going to go back to the west, west end of Kentucky again. This began with some strange lights in the sky... And this was from Elmer Lucky Sutton and his family, as well as they had a house guest at that time, Billy Ray Taylor. 
And this is um, what they experienced. So again, this happened um, by starting out with some strange lights in the sky around seven o'clock in the evening. The gentleman first really didn't pay much attention to it. So about an hour later, they went outside to investigate why the family dogs were barking. Right on cue. Thank you, Coco. <laughs> um, and as they did, so what they went outside to investigate why their dogs were barking. What they say they encountered was an enormous humanoid figure with elephant type of ears but pointed, luminous eyes, horrible hands with long webbed fingers and sharp talons. Sounds like a goblin to me. <laughs> they said the creature was metallic silver, but they could not determine whether it was skin or clothing it was wearing. Hmm. Being good boy, good old boys from Kentucky, what did they do? They shot it. <laughs> they grabbed their guns and started shooting. Um, Hold my beer. I'm going after. <laughs> <laughs> um, they said as they shot the creature, it did somersaults in the air and cartwheeled itself off into the woods. <laughs> That's um, a sight to see. So, while they were discussing what they had just done and whether or not they had wounded whatever this creature may have been, another, what they said, taloned hand came and reached down from above their porch roof and tried to grab them. Oh, my goodness. So, they shot that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> only to find they had a third beast in a nearby tree and then what they said gradually more and more creatures were coming toward the house and they were clawing in the doors peeking in the windows sounds like a you know a, a bad horror movie yeah. right <laughs> be, be rated for be whatever it is and um but for several hours that evening they were held in their house by whatever these creatures were, and they kept shooting at them until basically they ran out of ammunition at approximately 11 o'clock that night. And supposedly what they did then was they made a break for their car, and they headed for Hopkinsville, and they went to the police station. After they had convinced the sheriff that something had gone on, they actually put together... I guess what you want to call a posse <laughs> of state police, um, citizens, local police, and um, some press went with them as well. Of course. Um, but of course, by the time they got back to the farm... Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. No evidence to prove what they had seen, but um, there was this luminous spot on the ground where the men claimed they had shot and killed one of these creatures. They, uh, they did some more hunting that night to see if they could come up with any more evidence, uh, but they called it off. But in the morning, more police, detectives, reporters, the nosy neighbors, they all showed up. Still, there was uh, no tangible evidence of, of any type of creature to be found. That luminous spot that had been there the night before was gone. 
there was bullet holes. They could see, the, you know, shell casings, things of that around, you know. But some of the people even said, why would you, why would you go to all of this trouble to shoot up your own house if this was a hoax? Right. So what happened next really was kind of a media circus. And um, the, the family was actually, you know, kind of embarrassed. And they were said they were trying to profit from this. You know, they were trying to profit from this story is what the media was saying. Um, again, if it was a hoax, it was pretty elaborate hoax because all in all, there were seven people involved and they all kind of came and they all had the same story. Right. From the gentleman to the children. So, you know, obviously there's been a lot of skeptics here in this. And um, in the years, you know, since then, this kind of um, led into a uh, a legend, which has been called the Kelly Creatures. And it actually turned in to, like I said, kind of a local lore, myth kind of thing. Now there's actually a festival that's held in that area that's called the Little Green Men Festival. <laughs> and it's held every year to com- to commemorate the incident. Um, actually, I looked this up. I don't believe that this, um, I don't believe that this festival, or from what I could tell, I don't think that it exists anymore. Uh-huh. I think that after COVID, I think that it ended. Right. But, Lynn, but um, you know, Lynn, I mentioned at the beginning of this is that you and I talked about this. You know, this does not sound to me like a um, a UFO or a um, a you know little green man as they yeah. as they like to call their festival here. To me, this sounds like a cryptid. I agree. It sounds a lot like a goblin or what's some of the other things like that, like like creature from the Black Lagoon almost. With the webbed fingers. They said the strange lights. And there is this phenomenon that, you know, that people see these lights around um, around Bigfoots and mm-hmm. dogmen. I kind of wonder if, it, when I first read this story I, and read the whole story, that's what I thought was, I wonder if this is a cryptid as opposed to mm-hmm. a UFO. Because there was actually, if you, in, the, in the whole story, there's no mention of a craft. Right. The only thing that even remotely makes you think that is they're talking about it being silver, mm-hmm. possibly silver clothing that they couldn't make out or, or whatever. And you know, but. the funny thing about that is there are reports of gray Bigfoots. Oh, uh, I did not know that. Yes, Bigfoots can be in lots of different colors, and there are reports of, of gray Bigfoots. So I just, I thought this was interesting. It's part of Kentucky UFO lore, but I really think this is a cryptid. I t- Tend to agree with you here. Yep. Well, <laughs> I hope you, everyone, enjoyed this walk down UFO lane in Kentucky with us. Again, if you if you have any stories you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear them. Lynn, you want to take us home? <laughs> Keep it weird, y'all. Hydra Publications is the best place to find great genre fiction, including paranormal and horror, including the supernatural Take Her Morrows by Stephen Paul Sayers, Dearly Departed, A Paranormal Romance by Rachel Rawlings, Terror on the Tundra, A Monster vs. Small Town Book by J. Esker Miller, and The Devil's Mark, a Paige Aldridge and Victor McCain crossover novel written by Lynn Tincher and Tony Akery, featuring characters from the Mind-Bending and Hand of God series. Find these and other great books at hydropublications.com.
Do you struggle with depression, ongoing medical issues, or have you experienced past trauma? If you have, please consider the help of energetic healing. At Dragonfly Pond Holistic Services, we utilize Karuna Reiki, crystals to align and heal chakra function, meditation, and sound healing to address these issues and help in your healing process. To learn more about energetic healing and how to contact us, visit our website at dragonflypondenergy.com. For those who call in March to schedule an appointment, mention this ad and receive $25 off your initial visit. Thank you for joining us at Weirdos in the Wild. Please show us some love and support on our Patreon account at Weirdos in the Wild. Like us on all of our social media. And if you've had an experience you'd like to share with us, visit our site at weirdosinthewild.com. Until next time, keep it weird, y'all.